capital of the world. Bring your lunch. It's the T.C. Martin Show. With a flex of the muscles. Diagnosis. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Prognosis. So he does a lot of things out on the floor, including dunk. Osmosis. Wow, he can really bounce off the floor. It's the doctor. <laughs> Number two, glad to have you with us, T.C. Martin Show. Yes, 2 to 4 p.m. each and every day, Ballpark Frank in the house. Numchuck on the other side of the proverbial glass. Ballpark, hour number two. I'm so glad to be back in this 3 o'clock hour. I've missed the 3 o'clock hour. It's where it's always started for me. It's always been here. So, hour number two is the 3 o'clock hour. I love the 3 o'clock hour. You know how much I love the 3 o'clock hour? I love the 3 o'clock hour. I think you are, are <laughs> basically saying that you like the 3 o'clock hour. I do like and, 3 o'clock. And it also leads right up because then at 4, it's 7 o'clock on the East, tip-off times. You have a lot of different games. You have different things going on. So, yeah, it, it, it's a good time out there. So, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, it gives an extra hour at the Cosmopolitan and hopefully some other places down the road and things as well. So, no, it's, it, it's always good. And, and like you said, we've always had so much left on the table, on the floor, in the trash can, whatever, after one hour. So <laughs> it's good to have the extra time available. There it is. All right, so join us each and every day, 2 to 4 p.m., the new expanded version of the T.C. Martin Show, uh, back in the 3 o'clock hour, taking you to 4 o'clock right here, streaming live, of course, at tcmartinshow.com. All right, I want to thank Trevor Maddich for joining us in hour number one. Coming up here in hour number two, Steve Berline does a fantastic job with CBS on the NFL side and the uh, college side. And, of course, the uh, former quarterback of the Raiders and the pride of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. He will join us. And uh, our good friend Willie Ramirez, uh, Las Vegas native with the Associated Press, who always covers uh, the Golden Knights and anything happening really here uh, from a national perspective uh, with EAP. Not only a national perspective, but everything locally as well. I know he's covered a bunch of uh, high school football and high school sports around here locally. Uh, I saw I used to see him over at the uh, Las Vegas Rollers, the World Team Tennis stuff. So, yeah, Willie's uh, been around. He's uh, been in Vegas forever. Uh, he knows a lot of people here. He knows the has his uh, hand on the pulse of the community and what's going on in local sports at UNLV and other places as well. So, yeah, uh, Willie, another good guy. And one of those guys that whenever you see him, he always looks like he's dressed going to some kind of big uh, high-dollar banquet or something <laughs> like that. He's, he's always rolling out the clothes. It's not just when he's on with our friend Brian Salmon and the crew over at Channel 3 right, or something like that. Willie is always dapper. Unless you catch him in an early morning skate over at, yes, um, yeah. at City National, then he looks like he just came from the gym because if he didn't just come from the gym, that's where he's going right after, though. Exactly. The, the, and the I told skate. you, last time we had him over at the Cosmopolitan, Double B was saying, well, you can't be bringing this guy. You can't be bringing this guy over to the Cosmopolitan. He's, he's, he's out dressing us. I mean, he'll come in a three-piece suit at, at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, I, I remember back when people, when I was first starting to do this stuff, anytime I wore a shirt with buttons on it, people said, what are you all dressed up for? So, you know, but, uh, but you know, now I try to wear a collared shirt and look at least semi-presentable in places. But, Willie, I don't know. Like I say, outside of when he's going to the gym, I don't know if I've ever seen the guy without a tie. There you go. Well, th- our next guest, he can, uh, he can dapper it up pretty good himself, too, even though he's been spending a lot of time on the golf course looking good, too. And uh, there he is, the guy with the shillelagh. Is there such a thing still as a shillelagh? I don't know where I brought that up. The shamrock, the shillelagh, the pride of Notre Dame, Steve Berline, the QB, coming out of the tunnel today. What's going on, Steve? 
Hey, hey, what's going on, TC? Everything's good over here. How about you? Oh, can't complain, man. Here we are. Here we are in Las Vegas on uh, on a manic Monday or a Monday afternoon quarterback edition. Of course, we cannot have a Monday afternoon quarterback edition without the quarterback himself. That's the way I look at it. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's input that you just, you just cannot find anywhere else. So let me ask you this, man. We've seen some poor quarterback play in the NFL. And I looked at that Buffalo-New England game. I had this game circled on the calendar. I know Buffalo had it circled on the calendar because they had a seven-game losing streak to the Patriots. They've lost 35 of 40 going into yesterday's game. They finally got the job done. It was a little scarier for them, a little closer than I think that I thought it would be because with all the Patriots' injuries and the way Buffalo's been playing, I thought Buffalo would actually maybe cruise a little bit and that wasn't the case, and I guess we should never take Bill Belichick lightly here. But the question for you, Steve Berline, the quarterback play. Josh Allen wasn't great. Cam Newton wasn't very good either. Cam Newton, 174 yards, and of course had the fumble, and he's had problems protecting the football, and we saw him cough it up there at the 10-yard line with uh, New England at least you know, uh, maybe settling for a field goal to send us to OT, but they had a legitimate shot to win yesterday. No touchdown passes between Josh Allen and Cam Newton. So when you look at these two guys, what's the problem here? Well, they're two totally different scenarios or situations, obviously. Um, you know, Josh Allen went uh, the first four weeks of the season had 12 touchdowns and only one interception. Um, and they were obviously uh, playing very well, and he was in the MVP conversation. But now the last four weeks he's had four touchdowns, only in, in four interceptions. So he has completely fallen off in terms of his overall production. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I'm a huge Josh Allen fan, which I think you know. I've always been a big fan of his. Um, you know, I think several things happen during the course of a, of a season, and that's, you know, you, you go through um, uh, ups and downs, and obviously they came out hot the first four weeks of the season. And then teams have kind of started figuring them out a little bit, and Sort of maybe creating uh, uh, some analytics and figuring out what they're doing in different situations and kind of try to start throwing wrenches into the equation. And I think Josh Allen is, uh, and, and also, you know, you've got to go uh, with the offensive coordinator as well. They're maybe a little, they're grabbing a little bit. They're trying to uh, figure out, you know, how teams are attacking them now. And maybe they're, uh, they just don't have the same reason they had, uh, you know, earlier in the year. And it's obvious that Josh Allen's lost a little bit of his confidence. But I fully expect them to get that figured out and turn it around shortly because I think he's a great quarterback. And I think that the, the, the coaching staff for, for Buffalo is as solid as anywhere in the league. So I think that'll turn. Uh, but as far as Cam Newton goes, obviously it's starting to show uh, over the last several weeks that uh, not having the offseason – uh, not having a chance to get to learn that offense, uh, no preseason games, plus the COVID, uh, uh, the, the coronavirus layoff, all those things factored into it have made it very, very difficult uh, for him to pick up that offense, which I thought would be the case. Uh, but, you know, Josh McDaniel, I think, as the offensive coordinator, is, is trying to figure out a way to use Cam Newton uh, most effectively, and they've determined that's going to be running the football. And as you said, they had a chance to at least tie that game and possibly win it. Uh, you've got to give credit to the, the defensive player that knocked that ball out, though. That that was his intention. He went for the ball and he got it out of there. Cam sure probably had it in the left arm, uh, but he didn't. And, uh, you know, 
it, it is what it is. It happened the way it did. And uh, Cam, I know, is beating himself up about it. He's got to play better. He knows that. I mean, the, the Patriots have never lost four games in a row under Belichick, and uh, this is uncharted waters for them. So very, very difficult to get this thing turned around. I think this year is uh, is going to be very hard to salvage for the New England Patriots, which uh, I don't think any of us uh, uh, have ever thought that way about a, a New England Patriots team and a Bill Belichick. You know, when you were talking about Josh Allen, it reminded me a little bit of years ago when the Bears made the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman years ago. And after the first five or six games of the season, people were talking MVP and Pro Bowl and everything else. And then other teams had more film on him. They made some adjustments. And it seemed like the Bears and Grossman could never quite make the adjustments back, although they did make it to the Super Bowl that year. But his numbers went way down. How much of it is, with all the film on everybody today, constantly making the adjustments? It seems like Allen came out on fire. Teams have made adjustments. Now they maybe have to tweak things a little bit to get him back in Allen's favor again. Well, first off, there's absolutely zero comparison between Josh Allen and Rex Grossman. <laughs> this is true. This is coming from a Bears fan, a diehard Bears fan. So next thing yeah. you know, he's going to start bringing up Jack Kincannon, too. Yeah, there's no no one. <laughs> Way before no our time. Thought, yeah, no one ever thought that Rex Grossman was gonna, uh, you know, uh, be a sure thing or, or you know, do nearly the, the type of things Josh Allen could do. But I hear what you're saying. He was playing at a high level on a, on a good football team, and, and they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. But you know, the mark of a good team uh, is is a team that can win when they don't play their best. Number one, there are several marks, but number two. Uh, when they when things do start going south a little bit, uh, if if they do end up hitting a couple of uh, you know periods where they, they drop a game or two, how do they right the ship? How do they get it back on track? Are they able to figure out what it is that defenses are doing to them, or vice versa, what offenses are doing to them if they're having a problem defensively? Uh, they've they've got to be able to adjust on the move and find a way to get that ship uh, pointed in the right direction. And like I said. This Buffalo Bills coaching staff, led by Sean McDermott, I think is one of the best in the NFL. And and they will grind and they will figure this out. And if it means, uh, you know, changing the philosophy up a little bit or tweaking things a little bit here and there, they'll do it. Uh, the, the, the question is going to be whether Josh Allen can find a way to get his confidence and his swagger back and start playing at that consistent high level. Maybe not the level that he played at the first four weeks of the season, but you know, somewhere between where he's at now and where he was at the early part of the year. And I think if he can get to that middle ground where he's just playing consistently good football at that position, the team is good enough to win that division and make some noise in the playoffs, in my opinion. Steve Berline joins us, the former quarterback and uh, former uh, CBS NFL and college football analyst, breaking it down. Let's talk a little about Lamar Jackson. Obviously, it was the game of the day yesterday. Uh, A lot of questions still there, Steve, at least for me, when I look at the Ravens and specifically Lamar Jackson. It just seems that he can't beat the top teams. And yesterday, he was responsible for four, count them, four turnovers, two interceptions, two fumbles. And realistically, I mean, he did cost him the game yesterday he hasn't won a playoff game yet and obviously he can't beat the Steelers Uh, this is this is an issue give me your synopsis of his performance yesterday and the bigger picture about Lamar Jackson against quality teams well that's the argument right now and that's what everybody's saying we were talking about on our our show um, NFL Monday QB that uh, I do with Rich Gannon and Trent Green every Monday on 
on CBS Sports Network. Uh, we just got done uh, taping that uh, just a few minutes ago, and uh, you know, the, 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 that's going to be the the elephant in the room uh, until he can win one of those big games. And it seems like um, when he gets against these these defenses that uh, try to do some exotic stuff, and Pittsburgh's always been known. And for me, I always felt that they were the most difficult defense to play during my career, and they've never really changed their philosophy all the way back uh, from those days when I was playing. Uh, Baltimore plays a very similar style of defense. And Kansas City with uh, Spagnolo, they're doing a lot of really exotic, uh, you know, difficult concept type things that uh, if you're a veteran quarterback and you can catch them in the right look, there are opportunities to make plays. But Lamar Jackson, I don't think, is to the point yet where he uh, has seen enough and has experienced enough. Uh, when you get up against these really complex, exotic defenses, he struggles a little bit. And I also think a lot of the, pre- the, cre- uh, the, the pressure should be on offensive coordinator Greg Roman for Baltimore. You know, they, he's created an incredible offensive attack with Lamar Jackson that's been very, very successful, except against the best football teams. And that's where, you know, you've got to find ways. I'm not blaming Greg Roman. I'm not blaming Lamar Jackson. I'm saying between the two of them and the rest of that organization, they've got to find a way to play at a much higher level against the better teams in the league. Obviously, that goes without saying. But um, it's been markedly uh, different. I mean, to have four turnovers in one game after having only three turnovers on the season uh, that that shouldn't happen, and uh, you can chalk it up as a bad day, but it seems to happen against Pittsburgh, and it seems to happen against Kansas City. So uh, those are the those are the elephants in the room right now until they can find a way to get it done. And certainly another elephant in the room right now for Baltimore. Obviously, the play of Jackson is a huge concern. But how about the injury to Ronnie Stanley, left tackle, uh, just signs that five-year, ninety-eight point seven five million dollar contract, and now they lose a player of that quality for the rest of the season. Yeah, amazing how that timed out. Uh, uh, the man finally finally got his contract and well-deserved and uh, been, been done for the season. Uh, the good news is he'll be back next year, but uh, as far as dealing with this year, um, <coughs> excuse me, that's going to be a huge loss and one that, that is going to be very difficult to overcome, and it's going to test the Ravens from every possible angle. Uh, you know, you just don't replace one of the best left tackles in the NFL. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen. So I would imagine they'll probably end up um, having to really tweak that more than just that one position uh, at offensive line for Baltimore. They'll probably move whoever was a starting right tackle. I don't know their line well enough right now, but they'll probably move that right tackle over the left tackle, and then they'll bring in a backup to play on the right side because obviously we know the left tackle is the key, uh, the, the key bookend that you need uh, more so than anything else because you're usually going against the best pass rusher. So, uh, that's going to be a, that's going to be a very difficult situation for Baltimore. But uh, again, this is a staff that I, I really think very highly of, and I think Greg Roman will find a way to um, you know uh, get the most out of his offense moving forward. And uh, I think this team is talented enough all the way around. As long as Lamar Jackson protects the football, they'll be able to play and, and, and compete and beat most teams. Yeah, that's exactly what uh, the Ravens uh, did yesterday and are going to do. Orlando Brown, the right tackle, moving over to take Ronnie Stanley's spot. And again, a local kid here uh, in Las Vegas as well, too. And we were happy that he signed that big contract. 
uh, and uh, just just sad in the timing, uh, the way this worked out. All right, Steve Berline joins us. All right, Steve, I noticed last night while I'm watching this, and I was probably one of the few people, because, of course, you know, just being the NFL you know, diehards that we are here, watching that Philadelphia-Dallas game last night, well, I, I thought I saw you for a minute because, <laughs> ben, you know where I'm going, don't you? Ben DiNucci was wearing your number. I saw number seven for the Dallas Cowboys. I said, Berline's yeah. back. Oh, wait a minute. That's that's Ben DiNucci? James Madison? What's going on here? They can't well, give your number to this ham and egger. Hopefully the the level of play did not <laughs> resemble what you saw out of me during those <laughs> I, I I mean, I felt bad for, for that kid and you're right, I had a lot of people texting me, you know, they're just giving your number away to anybody. <laughs> uh usually it's it's just been going to punters in recent history. Right. But, um but the, the you know, it was a very – I mean, what a, what a terrible quarterback game on both sides of the ball. I mean, Carson Wentz uh, really made some terrible plays in that game. And, and, I mean, plays that I literally was yelling at him at my – I'm one of his biggest fans, and I'm like, you know, he's had all the cards stacked against him uh, the last couple of years with all the injuries and players that – have, he's been missing, and he's been trying to do too much, I believe. But now some of these young receivers like Fulgham and uh, Rager coming back yesterday, and you know, he's got some players around him now. Boston Scott's playing well. He got Dallas Goddard back yesterday. Uh, there's no reason for him to make some of the decisions that he made and throw some of the balls that he threw. And, and you sit there and say, man, he really is a major part of the problem right now for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, they won that game, fortunately, because he was going against Ben DiNucci. <laughs> and, and Ben DiNucci's defense, I think what that should show everybody that watched that game is just how difficult it is to play quarterback in the NFL because that kid had no chance. I mean, he was – the words that I used to describe him on myself earlier were uh, com- completely um, clueless, uh, overwhelmed, and just flat-out horrible. Uh, I mean, he didn't make one throw during the course of that game where, it, to me, it looked like he, he really knew what he was doing. He threw about six balls that should have easily been intercepted. Uh, he didn't know where pressure was coming from. Uh, he threw all those sidearm balls. I don't know what he was doing with all the sidearm deliveries. But uh, I felt bad for the kid because uh, I'm sure he was so excited going into it. But I think what he did by showing nothing, in my opinion, uh, he, he probably – uh, won't get many more opportunities to play, at least not for the Cowboys, not this year. I think if Andy Dalton doesn't come back next week, uh, they'll either pick up somebody else or they'll let Garrett Gilbert, uh, who they brought in last week as kind of an insurance policy, they'll give him a chance before they give uh, Danucci a chance to go back out there. That's how bad it was. Just to add to your point, Wentz was 15 for 27, 123 yards. He did have the two touchdowns, but he had the two picks as well, too. Steve, these two quarterbacks couldn't combine well actually the two teams the two teams couldn't combine for over 500 yards and I don't know where the offense is in this division because it's nowhere and we're not going to see it again tonight with uh you know with the the Giants you know playing uh, the Bucks and we know what Washington's all about I mean this is just it's some horrendous football and we're spending a good part of this segment talking about all the uh, poor quarterback play and I want to throw another one at you as we transition into the Raiders. Another one of your former teams here. All right. And, and Carr was not great. 112 yards for Derek Carr yesterday. He had a touchdown. But Baker Mayfield, 
he better get off my TV because I'm tired of seeing him in the in the commercials because yeah. he's a lot better in the commercials than he is on the field. 122 yards, no TDs, an ugly football game yesterday. So congratulations to the Raiders to get this ugly win. But I'm not buying the weather being a factor and everything. When you're winning quarterback throws for 112 and Mayfield's throwing for 122, this is just bad football, isn't it? Well, it, it, it's, it's ironic that all of them happened this week and, and, and so many of them in the same game. You know, we're talking about quarterback, dueling quarterbacks who both actually absolutely uh, played terrible football. Uh, you don't see that very often at this level. Uh, I don't know what to attribute it to. It's, I think it's just coincidence, to be quite honest with you. Um, but but it, it was happening across the league. And, um, you know, B- Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, people are starting to question whether or not uh, you know he he's uh, going to be worthy of, of uh, Cleveland hanging their their hat on for you know the future uh, with the kind of inconsistency that he showed. But you know I really believe that uh, you know two of the last four weeks he's played really well against Cincinnati and against uh, uh, Indianapolis four weeks ago he played really really well. But the two games between those Pittsburgh and then yesterday against the Raiders were horrific, and and that's not that kind of inconsistency is going to really make Cleveland think hard about whether they can commit to him long-term. Um, he, that's got to be his priority, his number one priority through this year, and that next year is the year they'll have to make the decision after next season. Uh, but he's got to show that he can consistently give them a chance to win, uh, or, or he's not going to have that, that extension, that new contract, and the things that he wants. Uh, as far as, you know, car goes, I mean, he, he, you know, we, we know what we got in, in, in uh, uh Derek Carr. I mean, he's he's going to be uh, uh, Carr. He's going to be consistent. That was a very uh, you know abnormal, I think, performance with the numbers that he put up. He's usually uh, much more consistent as far as how he he produces. Um, but but just one of those days, you know, very very you know weird day for quarterbacks. You look at the the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the Alvin Cook ran for more yards than Kirk Cousins threw for yesterday. He only threw fourteen passes, and uh, fifty of them came on a a touchdown pass to Dalvin Cook on a screen pass. So uh, there's another quarterback that was in the low 100. Yeah. It's just, it was a weird weekend in a lot of different ways, uh, and specifically with, with regard to how the quarterbacks played across the board. You know, Steve, earlier you mentioned the fact that sometimes a sign of a good team or a team that's on the rise and getting better is when they win when they don't play their best. And the Raiders didn't play their best game yesterday, but even look at some of their losses in that, like the the Tampa Bay game. They were right in the game, and then a couple things happened, and the re, the final result, the game was closer than that probably looked to the people that did, maybe didn't watch the game. Where do you see the Raiders right now, and where do you see their ceiling? Because it seems like they're on an upturn, but then when people out here start kind of jumping on the bandwagon, they have one of those performances where they do seem to take a step back. So sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, or vice versa. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things with the, with the Raiders that, um, in general, uh, you know, I think most people expect them to be on the fringe this year. That's kind of why I looked at them as a, as a team that definitely could uh, squeak into the playoffs. You know, if they, if it goes down to a, a nine and seven type of a record, uh, I don't know if that'll that'll get them in in the NFC this year. Uh, but but I really look at them as a, a fringe team at best. Uh, they're they're good enough to play with the really good teams, uh, but they've got to play their absolute best game. They're not 
they're not good enough to win the ugly games in general, even though yesterday uh, was an ugly win for them to put them to four and three. But, um, you know, Cleveland uh, is a team that's still learning how to win as well. And uh, if the Raiders do find a way to, to get to nine and seven or, uh, you know, hopefully 10 and six would be, would be fantastic. Uh, and they're going to be knocking on that playoff door. They'll look at a game like that game yesterday and say, you know, thank God we won that game. We found a way to get it done. And, uh, you know, any team that's ever won the Super Bowl uh, in, in the history of the NFL, you look back at a couple games during the course of the year uh, that, that they, they, they will, will point to and say, that was a game that had a significant impact. It was not our best game, but we found a way to get it done. And that's what the good teams do. They find a way to get it done and win even when they're not playing their best. All right. You know, I've been wanting to talk to you about this, what Sean Payton is doing with the Saints and specifically, you know, Taysom Hill. And, you know, we, if we watch the games and we've heard Troy Aikman, you know, hit this comment several times, basically when, when he comes in, it's almost like a wasted down. And we saw that on several occasions again yesterday. And it seems like Payton, uh, more times than not, is on second down, and when he comes into this game, you know it's in a wildcat situation. You're rarely going to see him throw the ball. We see Philly do it with, with Jalen Hurts, but with Taysom Hill, I mean, it just it doesn't seem to be working. Yes, he was a recipient of a Drew Brees pass yesterday, uh, you know, converted a big first down, but give me your thoughts on this, on what you're seeing here, and has this kind of played itself out with the Saints and, and, and Hill and what Peyton's doing? Well, you know, I, I'm actually a fan of the overall philosophy of, of trying to work a guy like that in there, a unique uh, uh, athlete in there that can uh, play and can, in uncertain situations, uh, you know, throw the football. The reason being is because it forces the defense to prepare for it. It forces the defense to 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 respect the fact that you might have a package it might be an extensive package this coming week, and if you're not ready for it or if you don't shut it down from the very beginning, they'll keep going back to it and maybe have some success with it. So it takes time away from a normal defensive preparation, and that's really, I think, why Sean Payton is sticking with it week in and week out. Now, is he maybe getting a little bit too carried away, maybe trying to force it a little bit too much? Yeah, I think he is. I think it's one of those things where you can go into – uh, a game and say, okay, this week it's going to be, we want to try to maybe get him eight, ten snaps on the field within our offense. But then maybe you go two or three games where he only gets on the field once or twice, or maybe you don't even go to it because that starts playing with defensive coordinators' minds then too. Hey, they haven't, they haven't been going to this package much lately, but if we don't prepare for it and they go with it 10 or 12 plays, we're going to get screwed. So, you know, it, it, the, 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 the unknown is the reason why I think it's very valuable. And I just think that Sean Payton has probably gotten a little bit too uh, enamored with the whole concept right now. And I think to your point, uh, it is to their detriment right now in a lot of those situations. All right, he is Steve Berline, CBS. You can uh, catch him. Uh, like you said, you, you, you recorded uh, your show earlier today, Rich Gannon. Tell people where they could follow you, Steve. It's on CBS Sports Network uh, every Monday. Uh, and they show it two times on Monday. I think it's uh, 6.30 Eastern and then later at night. And then uh, they, they show it again three times on Tuesdays. So it's uh, Monday NFL quarterback. We have a lot of fun. Adam Shine hosts it. Rich Gannon, Trent Green, and I 
you know, we mix it up and throw some pretty pretty uh, uh, strong opinions out there, and it's a, it's a pretty unique show. We have a lot of fun with it. There you go, just like you do here, man. All right, send us out with this. Monday Night Football tonight seems like it's a, uh, it's going to be a whitewash here with the Bucks and the Giants. The Giants, can they keep this game close? How do you see this thing uh, portraying itself? Well, they can. Uh, I, I, they can, but I just don't see it happening. The way Brady's playing right now, uh, national TV, having the extra day rest, I, I expect Tampa Bay to win this thing pretty comfortably. Um, if if uh, the Giants really bring their A game and play absolutely flawless, they'll have a chance to make a game of it. But that's the way it's going to have to be if they even want to have a chance. All right, my man. Greatly appreciate you. Love having you on. Uh, look forward to talking with you hopefully next week. Uh, keep up the great work and uh, uh, keep, keep doing your thing, man. Outstanding to have you right here with us. All right, TC. Thanks, man. Take care. You got it. There he is, Steve Berline, the former quarterback himself, and has done a fantastic job over the years on CBS as an NFL game analyst, also college football. And again, uh, catch him on the CBS Sports Network along with, uh, with Rich Gannon and company as uh, they throw it out there. And uh, great stuff. Always having Berline on with us. Yeah, could have easily gone an hour with him. There's a lot of stuff that we couldn't <laughs> even get to. But you know what? We got the week. We got two hours a day now. And uh, I, I thought the one thing that was uh, not funny, but in my mind when he said that there's a lot of punters now wearing his old number, <laughs> right. I was thinking, well, you know what? Sometimes they're one and the same because I believe Randall Cunningham still had that 91-yard punt uh, as a Philadelphia Eagle. So sometimes quarterbacks can, uh, you know, they can multitask. <laughs> It's that magic number seven is what I'm thinking, man. Yeah. There it is. You know, I had some great number th- number sevens. And, and maybe that's why I had the Rex Grossman flashback earlier when I brought up that one question, because Foles is wearing nine. That's true. That's true. Wasn't Gr- Grossman was eight, though, right? He yeah. Was, he was eight, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nine, Foles. Yeah. I don't know. Jim McMahon, your boy Jim number McMahon, nine. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We come back. Willie Ramirez will join us. We'll talk a little UNLV and a whole lot more coming your way. It is the TC Martin Show along with Ballpark Frank here on a Monday now. Two hours every day, Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. TC Martin. Glad to have you with us on a Monday. Don't forget, Cosmopolitan, this Friday, our Friday home. Two hours, nonstop sports talk. We've got Breeders' Cup. We'll be handling that. Marco D'Angelo is going to join us. Our One of our horse racing handicappers. Love having him on. And Mike Pritchard will be joining us as well, too. Uh, our good old friend and cohort that we used to work with. And now uh, Mike uh, doing a lot of stuff with Raider Nation Radio and also at VEASAN as well, too. So uh, good to connect with him again. And uh, he loves coming down to the Cosmopolitan. And now that Mike has kind of got into the gaming world, because before we used to have to, like, teach him how to do point spreads. So he's all in for the best bets now. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and why not? I mean, Mike is very knowledgeable, really super nice guy as well. Uh, always gotten along with Pritch. Uh, doesn't have a big ego in that, but knows what he's talking about and, and just a good uh, guy to be around. And, uh, of course, former Colorado Buffalo and uh, NFL star as well and uh, even played with number four way back in the day in Atlanta before uh, people knew that he was number four. There it is. Yeah, I mean, you still won't say number. You still won't say number four. He what? can't spell his name. I ain't saying it. Yeah, that's it. Oh man. All right, let's bring in our old school friend here, uh, Las Vegas native himself. Does a fantastic job with the Associated Press. Uh, covers every major event here in Las Vegas for uh, the AP, and also uh, check him out on his website at uh, wgramirez.com. My man Willie Ramirez. What's up, Will? 
What's up, guys? What's happening? You tell me. My man Frank's in the house. Hey, let me just let me just interject real quick about my boy Pritch. Uh, let's not go too far and talk about how you guys had to teach him oh. about point spreads. Don't forget that. <laughs> don't forget that the Pritch comes from Northtown, and I mean N O R F T O W N Northtown when he went to the ranch. You okay. got that right, Rancho. We, I'm just going by Willie. Uh, those some of those those lunches that we had when he would come on and I asked him to do the best bets, and we had to get out the sheets, and, and he was taking notes about. Uh, he's a former NFL player. You got to remember, Willie. These guys in the NFL, they're they're not too hip to this. We think that they are, but when yeah, you're but, a player, they're not too hip to that stuff. Well, let's not forget. But I still, you know, come on now. He came from the ranch. You know, that's old school '80s. Grads from 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 Southern Nevada. We all know what the parlay cards are about. Come on now. <laughs> well, I know he was throwing dice mo- over there. You know, uh, in the hallways over there. I know the dice game was strong over there. You know, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. Just because it was all around him doesn't mean that he partook in it or that he paid attention. <laughs> all right. How about a little three card Mally? They do that. That's the East Coast thing. You guys do that back in the hood over here. Three card Monty? Yeah, Monty, Molly, whatever. Come on. I was going to say, Molly, isn't that like a drug or something? I don't know, man. I'm going to the song. <laughs> hey, Divine Sounds, Willie Ramirez, What People Do for Money. Go listen to that song. There's a flashback yeah. they had to play in the clubs back in the day. That's what I'm talking about. There's D.C. Martin asking if they did something o- over there in Northtown that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Willie G, man, what's going on here? Hey, UNLV off to a rough start. Uh, we saw last week losers at San Diego State on the road. There was a little bit of hype for the home opener at Allegiant Stadium Saturday night. We were talking earlier about it was just a weird feel with this thing. But UNR comes in and, and wins the game by 18. Uh, it never felt like UNLV was in this game. I know you follow these Rebels very, very closely, my friend. I know you had some thoughts uh, last week. And I, I wanted to, uh, to get your thoughts on, on the Rebels after two games. I, you know, it's... It's hard to gauge. I didn't get to. I didn't get to go out to the to the game because I didn't have an, an assignment, and uh, I t- had some other um, get sort of some other priorities I had to tend to. So because I didn't have an assignment, I didn't get to the uh, UNR UNLV game, and because practices are closed and um, things are very limited, things are very different um, under this new regime. It's hard to gauge what's going on with this team, and you basically can only go off of what Marcus Arroyo is telling us once a week in a Zoom press conference. Um, his philosophy to the players is no outside noise, no outside media, no outside opinions, everything stays in-house, and he's been very adamant about that. So there's really no explanation <clears throat> as to a lot other than what he tells us and wants us to know. I think the biggest question mark or the biggest storyline um, is the quarterback uh, the quarterback situation in terms of coming in to the season um, and the fact that he went with Max Gilliam and he stuck with him. Um, Kenyon Oblad was you know finished last season as the starter. If 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 Max outplayed the other two and earned it, then. You know, we. I guess that's that's what that's what we have to watch going forward. But nobody can can sort of judge Arroyo on that or, or or have an opinion because all you see is what you're seeing in the game. And if you're if we're not seeing what the others are doing during practice, I know the three of them uh, broke up time in the opener at San Diego State. 
And uh, we saw what happened in that game. Max played the, the entire game against uh, UNR. And uh, I do know that uh, from some people that, that have sort of confided in me that Max is very his, – his on-field IQ went a long way with making that decision. He's, he's very smart. Might be one of the more cerebral players, if not the most cerebral quarterback on the roster. And that certainly helped because Arroyo has – from what I've been told, a very unique and a very um, intricate system that has a lot of details and it takes a lot of thinking. And that could be part of the issue right now as far as them finding a groove. From what you're saying there, if it's that intricate and, and that's detailed and stuff like that, do you think there's a chance, because like you said, you maybe don't have the same uh, you know opportunities in that that you maybe had in other regimes or under other coaches, is it possible that maybe it's a little bit too intricate in that for the college game? Well, no, because I think he brings some of his philosophies from Oregon, and if you want to have, if you want to build a big time program, I think I think that would be sort of um, you know judgmental of the UNLV's um, you know the, the entire football program's um, ability to understand maybe a big time uh, system. You know, when you come from from a place like Oregon and the offense is always flying. And you know, and you're talking about the OC coming in. They, I think that, I think that, I think it'll be good for them. Um, and you have to learn a new system, no matter what. You know, it's like Tony Sanchez used to say when he first came in. Is he wasn't trying to disrupt a lot of their um, their football knowledge and football talents. He was trying to change the culture before he did all that. And then, and then while he was implementing the system, he was all about the culture. Marcus Arroyo is trying to bring in this system and thrust it upon the the players, and they're having to learn that, and, and that just comes with the territory. I mean, you know, we're, we're in weird times. Remember, they, he could be looking at this like, hey, it's an eight-game season. They're playing the Mountain West opponents. It's not it's, – there's no normalcy, and let's use this as a learn. That's why he's maybe has been so nonchalant and casual. Um, you know, he, he somewhat, I think, rubbed some of the old-school media – and and people the wrong way. Some people understood his comment last week when he said um, that he's not hinging the entire season on one game, meaning against Reno. <clears throat> That's not going to to make or break the season. That's not going to be a success if they win that one game and they lose the rest. You know, he uh, I the the uh, interpretation is then it's not a successful season just because you got to keep the cannon. It's important, but it's not the most important. So while he's trying to implement this system over this weird, quirky 2020 that we're all dealing with in our own lives, um, maybe that's the idea behind it is that, hey, this is somewhat of a throwaway season that we could all learn and get to know one another. You know, um, there are players that were going to be key components to this um, team that aren't even on the roster anymore. I had tweeted out this morning that I confirmed to a source very close to the program that Randall Grimes, who big-time product out of Vegas, went to USC, transferred back, he's been suspended, and he was suspended for the season prior to the start of the campaign for a violation of team rules. That's a huge hit. When you have a guy that you can feel confident in sending downfield and going up and after the ball, I mean, he was going to be the guy for an offense that, you know, could use some balance, 
outside of the chuck wagon. You know, Charles Williams, needs, you got to have your passing game. you got to have a big-time receiver. And part of that system that Arroyo is trying to implement may include that. And Grimes was going to be the guy. But the, and there are other names that are out there that aren't that, that, that he. We don't know why they're not on the roster. There's been no, there's been no clarification. They're just gone. They've been removed. Whether they've opted out, whether they've been you know, their scholarships are particular. Nobody knows. Um, and and that's kind of the odd thing is there are so many question marks and nobody, nobody, nobody's confirming, nobody's clarifying. And again, Royal wants to keep it in house. He's not telling anybody anything. Yeah, and I think you know. We knew that this was going to be a tough transitional year. There were some people that thought, okay, hey, you're bringing in a, a I guess, a big-time offensive coordinator, but no real head coaching experience, and he's going to come in here. And there were people that were still, you know, believing in Tony Sanchez. They liked Tony Sanchez, and you could see there, there was some progress, but still it wasn't enough. And this, you know, this, as we know, this program has gone through so much – turmoil, lack of success for the better part of the last two decades, and you could just feel the apathy from boosters and fans in general. And you thought, okay, this was going to be the year, then maybe at least you get to play in a shiny new stadium, and then you make a coaching change. And it seems like, you know, when you have a coach that really is not coming out, and he's not a public figure, he's not talking to the media, and when you look at this roster, Willie, it's just not very good. And it seems to me that he just came in and said, you know what? I want to just disassociate myself with basically anyone and everyone from that Tony Sanchez era, and you really can't do that, and he really hasn't made uh, anyone really feel good here. And not just just fans, but it seems like players as well, too. So it's kind of a weird dynamic, and I know what you're saying, that, hey, 2020 is weird, all this is good, we had the pandemic, but this roster just doesn't look as good as Sanchez's team's last couple years. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, and I know exactly what you're saying. I just don't know if he's taking it out on the players and the roster that come from Tony, the those disciples like that. In, in that, I don't know. I, I'm not so sure. I'm ready to mm-hmm. somewhat go that far because some of the guys have there. There, there are just there's no confirmation of from sources of any kind. But there are names out there. There are. There's been reports. Um, from different media members that are hearing things that some of these guys opted out on their own because of COVID. They, it was their decision to, to opt out. So I'm not so sure I'm ready to say that he's just – I just know – I know if there's one area that he certainly wants to distance himself from, it's the media. He wants nothing to do with – you know, it, we're lucky to, to be getting him on a Zoom and because he zoned in on his first year as a head coach. You know, um, I, had, I, had, I had heard from someone tell me that – you know, before he even got here, he did his re- like Google searched and checked media, read read old stories and saw and, and and saw how things were reported and who he likes and dislikes. Before he even got here, he already had an idea of his his concept of um, who who was quote unquote friends of the program, who wrote critical about it, and my thought process was, dude. If if you're worried about negative reports, you better go undefeated because this is a program that's been losing for decades. I mean, I grew up here, and we had some fun programs in the 80s, you know what I mean, late 70s, early 80s. Those were great. Through the bowl era with, with the Las Vegas Bowl and so on and so forth. I mean, what has there been, three bowls in however many years? Um, you better get used to criticism at this point. Otherwise, I mean, if, if you think that the media is supposed to be here to be your friend, you know, but – 
And, and, and we're not. And, and, and I get it. And he, and he, he's got a job to do, but at the same time, same time, you, you should be open to, you know, given, given some information and bringing some clarity so it can be reported properly rather than through sources and season ticket holders and, and fans who have been here or season ticket holders that have been here since the seventies, um, have a, have a clear understanding of what you're doing. And that's, that's the only problem that I, you know, that I have is that he just, you know, it's, I, I get it. You want to keep things in house and you want to protect your players. You want to protect your program right now. Um, but you have to have a little more leniency and you have to have a little, you know, you have to meet, meet the media halfway. Hey, Willie, real quick, you mentioned the fact that in some ways he's looking at this as being a throwaway season. Is he afforded that luxury? Because we know how coaches get um, the turnover is, and certainly at UNLV. How much time does he have to build a winner before they move on to the next one? Because we've certainly seen that in the past all over the college landscape. Okay, let me just clarify. I'm telling you that's what I – I'm assuming. I'm not telling you that I heard that, or I'm not telling you that – I'm telling you that's what I think – could be a possibility because of his nonchalant ways of explaining things. And, 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 you know, and it's only been a couple of zooms, you know what I mean? Hey, we saw some good things. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. It's, you know, I mean, you start your first game, everybody, I don't, the one thing that I agree with you, TC, you know, uh, you sort of brought up, you know, Hey, the, the, yes, it's understanding this quirky year, 2020 COVID, so but all the teams and all the programs are going to that. So I don't want to hear that he d- hadn't had time to see his right. his three quarterbacks and pick one. In my opinion, and I'm not a football coach, but I've never heard of a coach coming into a season and, and wanting to play all three so they can get a better idea as to who could do what. Three quarterbacks in, one, in, in, in the first game. So um, – it's just those nonchalant decisions, and and well, we're learning as we're going, and and we're seeing this. Is that's the idea that I'm coming from? That I see, that I maybe understand, that uh, in that how he's treating the season. I don't think that he's going in telling the players, and I don't think that he's implementing the mindset to these guys. Hey, this season doesn't matter. It's a throwaway season. I'm using those terms. I'm using that vernacular. Um, I think that he's stressing the importance of going out and winning and competing and trying to, you know, finish the season with a winning record and win every single game. I 100%. I, I can't imagine there's ever going to be a, a coach that's not doing that. So the win now attitude absolutely is right now it's on the table. How long does the guy have? I would, I would venture to say that consider that uh, consider this athletic director and the, and, and the route that she's gone in, in the hiring she's made in, in, the major sports or the, the bigger sports and, and then the, the, maybe the, some of the Olympic sports, so on and so forth, um, the younger, sort of the younger generation of coach that she's gone to, um, I think we've seen a turn a little bit in the basketball program with TJ. Um, as far as Marcus is concerned, I don't know how long he's got, but it's, it's not like he's got five years like they gave Tony. That he's, he's going to have to turn the program around and, and come out with the winner, otherwise it's it's you know it, there there are definitely going to be some question marks and some eyebrows raised um, this season. I can't imagine that they're expected to you know to have a dominating season. Um, I just think that he needs to have a lot more answers or be a little bit more open. You know, um, 
there's going to be no players available this week, and and it's uh, because it's a voting week. Um, you know, so I'm not sure how how that works. You know, it's just there just seems to be a lot of I don't want to use the word secrecy. It's just a lot of you know unavailability to, to, to the information, to questions that normally would be answered at any other program. You're right, my man. All right. Great stuff, Willie. We appreciate you, as always. You can check him out at WGRamirez.com. He's got uh, some great articles, got some interviews up there. And he's the king of the old school, just like me. There you go, buddy. Bust it out one time. Where are those moves at? <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate you. All right, brother. We'll see you at the stadium hopefully very, very soon. All right. Take care, Willie. Willie Ramirez does a great job with the Associated Press and uh, Las Vegas native. He can go, he can go, he can dress, and he, he thinks he could dance a little bit too. We should have a dance off. It'd be yeah, no I, contest. I will definitely skip that. Day. Yeah, no, you're gonna you'll be the referee like you were in our you know in the when, shootout. Yeah, the Ryan shootout. The hockey guy, and Nick Nice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about your Bears, okay? Because the Saints, they were life and death to beat your Bears, and Sean Payton almost screwed this thing up. Well, he did, but you know, the funny thing was when I saw the Bears kick that field goal to tie it up, I'm like, they're just going to lose it in overtime. <laughs> right. I was thinking, all that this has done is taken people that had New Orleans and given them another chance to maybe cover the line. Now, that's not how it played out, but that's what I saw. But uh, I don't know what Wynn is doing. They're punching a the receiver in the head. With, first off, you're a wide receiver. What if you break your hand? You're not a starting wide receiver. You're not a star wide receiver. You're a receiver trying to stay in the league, and you're punching a guy in the helmet like two or three times, and he's just kind of standing there laughing at you like, dude, seriously? <laughs> not so and, smart. And you're doing it in front of everybody. You have If you're going to do something to someone, you have to pick your spots. Probably lucky that he got a, only a two-game suspension. <laughs> but by the way, that's two games without pay. Right. That's true. Uh, Saints win 26-23 in overtime. One quarterback who's not having any problems is Russell Wilson. He's 32-8 uh, after a loss, and uh, they drilled the 49ers yesterday. Does he throw the best long ball in the game oh. today? He drops it in there so beautifully, yeah. constantly. They, and they mention it all the time, and he still does it. it it's amazing. I mean, Mahomes yeah. throws a nice one. Wilson just, that arc and everything. Yeah. He has it down to an art form. All right. Appreciate the Monday quarterback edition today from Trevor Match on the college side, Steve Berline from the NFL side, and uh, Willie Ramirez talking a little UNLV as they fall to UNR on Saturday night. All right. Back at it again uh, tomorrow. A terrible Tuesday. We got that going and a whole lot more. Uh, voting day, we really won't talk about that too much. Well, no, but if you are in line yeah. to vote, bring your headset and listen to the show while, you, while you're standing around because they say it. the lines might be long. Hopefully they are. Hopefully people exercise that. But wear your headphones. You listen go. to the show. Two hours now, two to four every day. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for asking for it. Go to the website. You can check out both hours. That will be up shortly at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one, and we'll catch you tomorrow right here from two to four.